Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of Fire and Ice Sports. As always, my name is Evan Smoke, and I am the resident fire here on the podcast today. And I believe three hours southeast of me, once again in the lovely city of Statesboro, Georgia, is the local ice Bryson Wheeler. Um, a little bit under the weather with an ear infection, so if I sound a little weird or Bryson's talking a little loud, don't be alarmed. It's just for my benefit. But Bryson, uh, a lot of stuff's happened in the past week. You know, a lot of great things uh, to look forward to and to touch on. But, you know, where do we want to start today? We're going to start in the MLB, and we're going to first start off with the Braves. And we're not going to get into a lot of the stats like we normally do uh, with them, like we have been doing the last few weeks. But we're going to talk about some big high points and some just major news that happened this past week. And the first one is I want to say the Braves keep continuing their hot streak. We are 20-5 and in the month of June. We've picked up tons of ground on the Mets. I think we are four back as of today. We play the Phillies tonight, looking to win the series already. Just a big month for the Braves. They've been playing some great baseball. The offense is slugging the bats. The pitching has came to life. The bullpen's been great outside of, you know, Jansen struggled the other night. Now he's on the aisle with irregular heartbeat. Prayers up for him. He had this problem a couple years ago. Nothing out of the ordinary for him, but hope he's going to be okay. We're going to get Tyler Matzik back very fast. But what are your thoughts on the Braves continuing their hot streak? Well, the Braves have just been ripping the cover off the ball for one, where our pitching's been great in, in moments where the bats have kind of died down. We've just been all up and down the lineup. There's really no one right now that's having an extended bad streak. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a win tonight and tomorrow uh, – creates the best record in a month in Braves history, if I'm right, because I'm pretty sure the previous record was 21-5. and five. That, I mean, I'm not surprised. That sounds about right. So, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if we – do we play tomorrow or are we off tomorrow? We play tomorrow. Uh, it's actually at 6.05 instead of 7.05 tomorrow. So, two straight wins over the next two days would give us the best record in a month history for the Braves, which is something to really look forward to. Yes, absolutely. And one more thing I want to touch on stats-wise is Matt Olson has been on a power surge lately. He's up to 12 homers. Glad to see him actually hitting the ball out of the park right now. But there's a big thing that I want to talk about that we saw this past week, and it was the Dodgers playing the Braves in Atlanta and Freddie making his return to Atlanta. And, you know, it was a really emotional time for all of us. I mean, we saw Freddie's press conference early on Friday where he teared up a lot. I mean, it was hard to watch it. You heard the announcers talking about how hard it was to be in there for it. Freddie just really seemed to be want to be back in Atlanta. Then you saw come the first at-bat. I mean, we had that long pause, standing ovation for him. The city still loves him. It was good to see the love that the city showed Freddie. He had a really good series. He ended up winning player of the week this past week in the National League. But ultimately, I think Freddie's return ultimately led up to the him firing his agent. I think he realized how much he missed Atlanta. How much, I'm not going to say that he hates playing in L.A., but just how different it is. I don't think he has the relationship with the players that he had in Atlanta. I don't think he has that relationship with the city. Because in Atlanta, he was the face of the franchise. He was the whole city. I mean, you thought of the city of Atlanta. Freddie Freeman's one of the top five names that you would say. Not just in sports, but in anything. Now he's in L.A. You've got a hundred names that you would name off before you think of Freddie Freeman as being the face of L.A. 
And I think just a lot of the stuff like that, he's not feeling the same type of love that he felt in Atlanta. And he fired his agent yesterday, and I think that was the main cause of it. But what are your thoughts on Freddie Freeman in his return and then ultimately firing his agent? Well, I think Freddie, I think you hit it, you exactly hit the nail on the head. I think Freddie coming home, realizing that's, that's where he should have been this year, and his agent's kind of, I wouldn't say pushing him to L.A., but – you know, orchestrating a deal that allowed stuff allowed him to go to the Dodgers. I think he was very angry with it, and I think this weekend proved that. And I think that's why you saw him getting fired yesterday. And it, it is so ironic, I think, because a lot of people, you know, talked about with that move. Does that mean Freddie's going to come back? Freddie going to come back? Should we trade for Freddie Freeman? Should we? Should the Dodgers get rid of Freddie to the Braves while they can to get return as high? Well, then Matt Olson hit two bombs last night to remind people that hey, we're okay in Atlanta. Um, and it kind of forced, you know, listen, I love to see Freddie back in a Braves uniform. I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen. And I, and I don't think Atlanta should pursue it. Um, I, I think we're younger. We're, we've got a guy on pace to break the doubles record in the MLB. Uh, Olsen is hitting the ball off the cover right now. You know, it was a very poetic moment that on the day that everything was like, Hey, maybe Freddie's coming back. Matt Olsen reminded people, he don't need to come back. I'm here. We're okay. Yeah, and I will say I do think Freddie Freeman retires a Brave. after. I don't think he's coming back until his contract's up, but I think after his five-year contract or whatever it was, five or six, I think he does come back to Atlanta, at least retires. Probably signs a one- or two-year deal. But um, I want to touch – I want to say one more thing before we leave that. I think if Alex Anthopoulos could have waited another week or so, I do think Freddie Freeman would still be a Brave. But Alex had to make a move, and I think he ended up making the right move. Do I like it? No, I still wish we had Freddie. But he had to go make a move to save his own job. And he went and got Matt Olson. Great move. And then Freddie Freeman and his agent had to go other places. I think his agent was, you know, bluffing. Anthopolis called his bluff, and Freddie's not a brave anymore. But let's get off of that. Next thing I want to talk about, a little more positive, is Dansby Swanson. And I just want to say he should be your National League All-Star starting shortstop. And if he's not, it's wrong. I know Trey Turner's leading in voting right now. It's wrong. Trey Turner and him have almost identical offensive stats. Uh, Turner has a little bit higher average while Dansby's hit more bombs and has a higher OPS. But Dansby's run circles around him defensively. Dansby is the best defensive shortstop in all the MLB. He's tearing the cover off the ball bat 299 with an 856 OPS, 13 homers, 43 RBIs. If he's not your starting shortstop for the National League All-Star game, that it's just wrong and they need to get rid of it. What are your thoughts on Dansby Swanson so far this year? Well, I agree with everything you just said. And if he doesn't win National League Player of the Month for June, uh, that's also wrong because he's just been on a tear this month. The man has done everything you've asked of him, um, and he, it, he's really right now building towards a gigantic contract this offseason. And that's something that the Braves are also going to have to start, you know, thinking about. I mean, not this early, but a little bit later in the season. Do you pay Dansby the money or do you let him walk? I hope we keep him. You know, I think he's a. I think he loves to be in Atlanta. I think he. I, Everyone around the clubhouse enjoys Dansby being a, a brave. Um, I hope we keep him. And I, right now, he's he's definitely worth the money that he's expecting. Absolutely. I mean, if he keeps it up, well worth the money. It's just going to depend 
is he going to keep playing like this and is he going to get that, you know, 20, 25 million a year? Or does he slump back off, you know, get his average back down to about 270 like we were expecting? And maybe we don't see the power surge we've seen. And maybe he signs for 12 to 15 a year. It's just going to really all it, – it'll play out in the next few months. It's going to be interesting to watch. The last thing I want to talk about the Braves is Michael Harris. And I, I'm so sorry because we rave about this kid every single week on the podcast. But he deserves every good word that we could say about the kid. He is unreal defensively in the outfield. He co- It's like that thing where um, water covers two-thirds of the earth, Michael Harris covers the other third or whatever. That seems to be very true because nothing falls in the outfield. The other night he had back-to-back catches where one he had a 40% catch probability in the next 45 the one that supposedly was 45, I have no clue how it was even that high. It was about a 5% chance, in my opinion. But Michael Harris catches everything out there. And then the bat has been really good. Have we seen the power I would like to see? No, not really. He's only hit three homers, has an 856 OPS. But he's batting 327, and it seems like every single game he has two to three hits. He's been unreal. He's been ten times better than what I ever expected. Give us your thoughts on Michael Harris. Yeah, just – I think he's been phenomenal. Um, and I feel like I say this every week, but every week it just feels more and more as the trade deadline comes up and Drew Waters is going to get shipped out of Atlanta. Um, but, you know, even going back to – and I know we're not getting the power over the wall, but like just like you said, the two or three hits, it feels like at least one of those hits is an extra base hit, whether that be a double or a triple. I mean, he's he's getting the power to the outfield. He's just not getting it over the wall, kind of like Olsen was a couple weeks – you know, last week or a couple weeks ago. He'll finally get him to he'll finally get in the groove and get it over the wall here in a week or two. And he's he's just been he's gotta be on pace for rookie of the year and he deserves it right now. Yeah, I mean we'll see. A lot of baseball left to play. I think Spencer Strider's gonna make her on at rookie of the year as well. But do you have any other thoughts on the Braves before we jump into college baseball? Hopefully they can pull these last two out, knock on wood, get that best record in a month in Braves history. Absolutely. All right, well, let's jump into a little bit of college baseball, and we get we have to mention Ole Miss winning the College World Series. And this is so much of a shocker to me because I didn't even think Ole Miss should have made the postseason. I thought there were much more deserving teams than them. They entered the postseason with 21 losses. I, they were on the bubble right there, kind of like the last four in in basketball, something like that. I didn't think they even deserved it, but they went to the um, – the Miami Regional, they beat Arizona, then they beat Miami, then slaughtered Arizona again to head to the Super Regionals. They sweep Southern Miss there, shut them out both games. Southern Miss was a really good baseball team this year, if you didn't know, though. And then they get Omaha and just run through everybody except their one loss against Arkansas that they had. And this whole Miss team slugged the ball. They had amazing pitching. They had – I mean, Three shutouts in the postseason. I, this team was absolutely electric, and especially for a team that I did not think should have even made the postseason. Mike Bianco, the coach there, did a great job with the guys this year. What are your thoughts on this Ole Miss baseball team and how they persevered through the year? Well, this is the epitome of a team. Give me a chance, and we're gonna we're gonna use it. This is, this reminds me a lot of the UCLA uh, last four in run to the Final Four two years ago in the college basketball tournament. You know, they gave them a chance. They got hot. They went on an absolute tear. Tim Elko and that team, you know, just ran through Omaha. Uh, 
Um, they consumed so many jello shots, so <laughs> many jello shots, 75,000 plus, which is insane. Beer showers in Omaha right field. I mean, everything was just – everything worked for this team. And hotty toddy, baby, first national championship for Ole Miss and any of the three major men's sports. Yep, props to them. All right, well, do you have anything else in the baseball world before we jump into football? No. Oh, uh, right. Tommy takes to LSU. Yes, that was wild. Tommy Tanks, uh, and they got the um, pitcher the from Vanderbilt, and they Correct. got a shortstop from where was he? It was a SEC school. I forgot where. I, I they remember. have had three unreal transfers coming in. LSU is going to be absolutely loaded next year. Mm-hmm. But let's jump into a little bit of football, and we mentioned it last week on the podcast. This week, we're getting into college football. We're not jumping into our top 25 yet because we're we're still a week or two out from that. But we have a few teams that we did not rank that I think a lot of y'all would like to hear our thoughts about. And I'm going to open us up with a question. I want you to answer it first before I get into it. Is Texas football back? No. All right. And and. Yeah, because here, because the last time we said Texas football is back, they beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Sam Ellinger set up there with the Sugar Bowl trophy in his hand, claimed that Texas was back, baby. And what have they done the last three years? Nothing. Nothing. They've played. They played in what one or two bowl games. Missed it last season in Sark's first year. I don't. I. They're not back until they two years of goodness. And uh, not good as greatness, you know, and, and they've only had one year in the past 10. So, no, they're not back. All right. Well, let me give you the, your, uh, my thoughts on Texas football. I do think they're in for a really big year this year. And I think them getting Quinn Ewers and then Arch Manning this past week, I think those are going to attract a lot of really good recruits. And I think that will ultimately lead to them being back. They have a top three wide receiver core in all of football with Xavier Worthy, Isaiah Nair, and Jordan Jordan Whittington. Oh, and Ajayi Hall, who's not even a starter right now. This offense is going to be electric this year. I think the defense is still going to struggle a lot. The defense is not real good. But I think this offense is going to be good enough with B. John Robinson, Quinn Ewers at quarterback, and then that wide receiver core. I think they're going to win eight, nine games this year. And then they get Arch Manning. Arch Manning, do I think Arch is the number one quarterback in this class? No. But like I said, he's going to attract the recruits. He's going to get a lot of other people, and it's just going to be really good for their future. I think the Nico, I can't even pronounce his last name, the dude going to Tennessee, that's my number one quarterback for this class. That kid is really, really good. But I think this Texas team, I'm not going to say they're back yet. I think they are definitely on track to be back, though, very fast. Which is completely fair, yeah. I think I think everything you just said is true. And even like what Sam Ellinger said they're back, everything was on track for them to continue the dominance, and they fell flat. So I, I've seen – fool me once, shame on me. Fool me, tw- or fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And right now I'm not going to get fooled again until I see it. Yeah, but I mean, I will say they've had two of the top quarterback recruits we've ever seen commit in the last uh, or the last year with Quinn Ewers and then 
uh, Arch Manning. So it's definitely on, their program is definitely on the rise. But let's get into a couple of teams that we're going to mention this week that we did not rank. And the first one is my Florida Gators. And I think the Florida Gators have a lot of talent on their team, but I think we do still have a lot of holes on our – well, mainly on the defense and on the offense side at wide receiver. Give me just a minute. I'm trying to pull up the depth chart and talk about it real quick. All right. So, I mean, as everybody knows, Anthony Richardson at quarterback. I mean, Anthony Richardson has all the talent in the world. Can he put it together, though, is going to be the main question. I mean, people are going ahead and talking about him being a first-round pick this next year. I do not see that. I think he may could end up being a second- or third-round quarterback. I think he returns, though, for another year. I could be wrong, though. We'll see about that. He is a big year ahead of him, though. At running back. We are absolutely stacked. I understand we just lost to Marcus Bowman. He transferred to UCF. That was because he was the fourth-string running back, and that says a lot for a five-star. Montrell Johnson, the transfer from Louisiana Lafayette, he came over with Napier. He had over 800 yards last year as a true freshman in the Sun Belt, one Sun Belt freshman of the year. Our backups will be Naquan Wright, Lorenzo Lingard, and Trevor Etienne, the brother of Travis. At wide receiver is where it really, really scares me, though. I think it's the weakest position on the team by far. Our starters are Justin Shorter, the transfer from Penn State, who's been here for two years already. Xavier Henderson, younger brother of C.J. Henderson, plays for the Jaguars. And Trent Whittemore. I think Whittemore is going to be probably your leading receiver. Whittemore is a really good athlete. And then you've got Ricky Pearsall, the transfer from Arizona State. I think Pearsall is going to get a lot of playing time and hopefully can be a bright spot for us. The offensive line, though, is going to be – it may be the best unit on the team this year. We return four or five starters from last year, and you get Osiris Torrance to transfer in. Osiris Torrance was a second-round projected pick this year from Louisiana Lafayette, but decided to come back, hopefully up his draft stock, become a first-round pick at Florida. And I think he very well can do that. You flip to the defensive side of the ball. The defensive line, I will say the edges are really good and we have depth. Up the middle, though, really worries me. You've got Jervon Dexter, former five-star, going to be really solid for us. But after that, I do not see much bright side in this defensive line. You've got Desmond Watson, the 400 and whoever knows how much pounds got. And he's listed as a starter. Can he get into shape is going to be the main question because right now he I'm not trying to compare him to um what Jordan Davis but he's typical to that size but even more out of shape. It really worries me there. Our backups are Chris McClellan, a true freshman, and Jalen Lee, a guy who's been there for three years and not got much playing time. Our linebackers really good though in my opinion. Ventrell Miller returns for his fifth year. Amari Bernie's going to be another senior who's going to get a lot of playing time. DeWan Black, Derek Wingo, Scooby Williams going to be a lot of guys that are going to get a lot of playing time at linebacker. And our secondary, I think, is going to be really, really stout this year. You've got Jason Marshall leading it. I think he has a chance to be a first-round pick in the future. You've got Trey Dean, Rashad Torrance, Trevez Johnson, Jalen Kimber, Jaden Hill, I mean, this secondary is absolutely loaded. It's that Florida DBU mentality that I think you're used to seeing. So, like I said, you've got a lot of positions that are really weak. 
you've got a lot that are really strong. And that's why I think coming into this year, it's really going to be confusing because I could see Florida winning as many as 10 games, but I could also see us losing as many as six or seven games. I think ultimately we end up probably eight and four, seven and five, somewhere in there. But what are your thoughts on Florida? Yeah, I think seven and five and eight and four is probably the right thing. This the floor is probably six and six, and the ceiling's probably nine and three. But I'd, I'd probably go eight and four. Uh, so something like that makes sense to me. Uh, I think it's going to be a good building year. Uh, I think it's going to have a great outlook for the future, especially if Anthony Richardson will come back in twenty twenty three. But um, yeah, I think Florida could have a decent year. Just they're just not quite back to where you know some of the Florida faithful want them. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it is going to take a few years. Will the fans be patient enough for that to happen? I don't know. But let's jump into another team. I wish we really had Noah Hall here to talk about it, but we're going to talk about the Auburn Tigers. At quarterback, they get T.J. Finley back. He's a terrible quarterback, not good. Can somebody beat him out as Zach Calzada, the transfer, Robbie Ashford, another transfer, or Holden Gariner, the quarterback from Band 18? Can any of them beat him out this year? We will see. I will say the main bright spot for this team, though, is that running back. Tank Bigsby returns, one of the best running backs in the nation. They also have Jarquez Hunter, a really good back, right behind him. At wide receiver, it's going to be their weakest unit on the team, I would believe. They have Shedrick Jackson, Bo Jackson's nephew. And then they have Malcolm Johnson, who I've never even heard of. Javarius Johnson. Yeah, exactly. I mean, then a bunch of guys I've never heard of. Last year, we saw their receiving court was terrible, and they lost four of their top pass catchers either to the transfer portal. I think one may have went to the draft. The offensive line, I have no clue about. I know Nick Brons, he returns at center. That's the only one I know about. On defense, I think this unit will be pretty stout, though. The defense line is led by Colby Wooden and Derek Hall, both going to be studs up there for them. At linebacker, they have Owen Popo. He's been one of my favorite players to watch since he was a freshman. I remember him as a recruit. He went. He was out of Grayson, I believe. He really good player, really good prospect. And then the secondary, I'm not gonna lie, I have no clue about any of them besides Caleb Wooden, who is a freshman. I remember him as a recruit, and that's about it. So I think this team is going to be really weak. I do not see much upside for them. I think Auburn wins somewhere between four and five games. I do not think they make a bowl game this year. I think they're going to be pretty terrible. What are your thoughts on the Auburn Tigers? Yeah, they're going to be abysmal. I, I think four and eights are probably a good good projection, four and eight. Yeah, I mean, they're going to struggle. But um, the next team I want to talk about is Georgia Southern. And I will not talk much about them, even though that is my school – I don't even care about Georgia Southern football, so I know about most people listening do not care much. But I will say we get new coach Clay Helton going to be – I think that was as good a hire as Georgia Southern can make, just getting a big name like that into such a small school. We went 3-9 and last year. I understand that these rebuilds take time. I'm not expecting a seven and five, eight and four year this year, but I do think we can go five and seven or six and six, maybe make a bowl game and just be competitive. We get Kyle Van Trees at quarterback, the transfer from Buffalo, has a can of arm, big body, gonna be fun to watch there. 
the defense returns a lot of guys. I think we we should have a pretty solid defense. But do you have any thoughts on Georgia Southern football? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they fare in the new Sun Belt. Uh, the Sun Belt grows to 14 teams this year with the addition of James Madison as long and as well as Old Dominion, Southern Miss, and Marshall moving over for Conference USA. So, yeah, James Madison's a really good football team usually. Oh, yes, yes, they are. So interesting to see how um, how Georgia Southern are fair. Clay Heldon's a pretty good coach. He's already been recruiting his butt off. We saw that with the midseason hire last year that he was on the recruiting trail even before he was a – you know, while there was another head coach on the, on the field. So, I mean, you know, it's great to see uh, him give back to a program that gave him another opportunity. I think Georgia Southern could go 6-6 six and six this year. It'll be a fringe bowl team, but I think they got all the makings to do it. All right, well, let's hit two more Florida teams before we wrap up football. And the first one is Miami, and we're really just going to get a sked- or a record prediction for them. Tyler Van Dyke returns at quarterback, really, really stout quarterback, really good arm. He threw for, I think it was 30 touchdowns last year to three interceptions, great ratio there. I think Miami can go 9-3 and three or somewhere in there. What are your thoughts on this Miami team and your record prediction? You took it right out of my mind. I think 9-3 and three is the way the Golden Hurricanes are going to go with Mario Cristobal's first year. Um, you know, uh, hiring process down there, but, you know, Cristobal finally took the reins, got the job. Um, it's been in there trying to recruit the 305. I think it'll be an interesting turnout, but 9-3 and three this year seems pretty realistic for the Hurricanes. All right, and the last team we're going to talk about today, and after looking at their depth chart, I think we might have misranked them. I think they should be ranked, in my opinion. And it's the UCF Knights. Thomas Castellanos, our friend, is down there. He, I was talking to him the other day, and he says that he, as of now, he's the backup quarterback right behind John Reese Plumley, the transfer from Ole Miss. This team is loaded with talent on offense, loaded with playmakers, loaded with transfers. And let me talk about a few of them. You've got Kamari Gamble at tight end, transfer from Florida. Gamble was a solid tight end. He would have just had to fight for a lot of playing time with Keon Zipperer at Florida, decided to transfer out of there. Zipperer's a good talent for Florida. Gamble's a good talent for UCF. At running back, you've got Isaiah Bauer, Bowser, the former Northwestern transfer. Then they have Demarcus Bowman, who just transferred in from Florida. At wide receiver, you've got Kobe Hudson, who transferred in from Auburn. And they have um, Ryan O'Keefe. Ryan O'Keefe is a really good wide receiver, one of the best in the nation. I remember watching him in the bowl game last year against Florida. He was electric. This offense is absolutely loaded. I do not know much about the defense, but if the offense can be half as good as I think they're going to be, we probably should have ranked them. What are your thoughts on this UCF team? So they have Mikey Keene as the third string? That, according to Thomas, yes. I love Thomas, but that don't seem right. I don't know how you go starting at a bowl game to third, but, hey, weirder things have happened. Um, no, I think this team's going to be great. Gus Malzahn has been working the transfer portal like it was his second job. Uh, the kid can recruit, I mean, the guy can recruit from anywhere. The Gus bus was across the nation getting people to come down to Orlando, which probably isn't a hard sell. Uh, it's got the biggest student enrollment of any university in the United States. A giant campus, uh, you know, a lot of success there, a lot of hope as they move to the Big 12 next year in 2023. A bright future for the, for the Golden Knights down there in the bounce house, but uh, hopefully we can see our boy Thomas get some playing time. 
Uh, interesting that he says that John Rice Plumley was going to Plumley is going to be the starter because there was talks in spring training when I was reading up that he might switch to wide receiver. So uh, interesting enough there. Um, thinks think a lot of good things could happen for Gus Malzahn and his staff down there. And you know maybe we were wrong. If that defense is as stout as that offense, we might have mistaken them for a non-ranked team. Absolutely, that offense is loaded with talent. Do you have anything else football before we jump into the NBA? Um, the ACC has eliminated division starting in 2023. Uh, I think this is going to be a really interesting uh, thing as we see conferences continue to grow. I know the Pac-12 said that the divisions are going to stay, but the top two teams can go. And I know the Big Ten has already discussed it. Uh, the Big 12 never really had divisions in the first place. So uh, with Oklahoma and Texas, we could see uh, elimination of the SEC East and West as well. Uh, so something to keep a, keep ahead on. All right, well, let's jump into the NBA real quick. And we just had the NBA draft this past week. And would you like to give us a little rundown on everything that happened? Yeah, so the NBA draft actually had a couple of twists and turns that we thought was kind of going to be chalk. After everyone thought Jabari Smith was the universal number one pick, uh, Paolo Benchero out of uh, Duke actually went first to Orlando. Uh, Something very interesting there that a lot of people didn't see coming until the last, you know, 12, eight hours before the draft. Uh, Don't know if I really like the pick. Um, but I think Paulo has all the makings. To be. He is the most NBA-ready product, probably. I don't know if he's the best, but he's probably the most NBA-ready. And Orlando is building uh, a decent squad down there for the future. So maybe they wanted somebody that could, uh, I guess, give back more now versus a couple years down the line. Uh, number two, like we all thought, Chad Hilgram went to the Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Thunder actually had a great draft. Uh, moving into the late lottery later uh, to get Ozme Ding and Jalen Williams, and then the second round also getting another player named Jalen Williams, the first one, uh, the 12th pick, the guard out of Santa Clara, and the second one, the forward out of Arkansas. So really interesting picks there. Um, and third, uh, we see Jabari Smith, who was the projected number one pick, fall down to Houston. Uh, kind of the same. It's never really been a problem for Houston. They wanted a power forward. They thought they were going to get Paulo. They got Jabari Smith. At the end of the day, uh, everything's great. Another team who I thought had a great draft was the Detroit Pistons. Uh, the Kings, in the most Sacramento fashion, makes the wrong pick at four again with Keegan Murray, letting Jaden Ivey fall to them at five. They also move into the lottery later in the round two, making a three-way trade with the Hornets and the Knicks to get Jalen Duran out of Memphis, who's probably the best center in this in this draft class. Um, I think it's going to be a really bright future for the Pistons. They also later had a separate trade with the Knicks to get Nerlens Noel and Alex Burks. Troy Weaver is getting a really good squad up there in Detroit. Um, the Hawks get a steal at 16 with A.J. Griffin falling to them, who was a projected top 11 pick, um, fall to them at 16. So I'm not, not mad about that pick either. Um, any Walker Kessler goes to Minnesota. Um, I think that could be an interesting fit next to Carl Anthony Towns as a mentor. Uh, Anyone else that you want to mention in the draft before I talk about free agency a little bit? Well, and you know that we were really big Ochai Baji fans, him going to the Cavs at 14. I think that's a really good pick. Other than that, oh, I, I want to talk about Tata Washington falling to 29 to the Rockets. I think that's my still draft. I always seem to pick a Kentucky player, I know. But I think Tata Washington should have been a lottery pick easily in this draft. Tata is a really good offensive player, but he's an even better defender probably. He's just a playmaker on both sides of the ball. I think that's a great steal for the Rockets at 29. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, kind of looking forward to uh, free agency. 
A uh, lot of things on the mind right now. The biggest thing in the news is the John Collins saga that Atlanta's gone. A lot of people thought he'd be traded before or on draft night. That did not come to fruition. Uh, now there is talks of a DeHonte Murray from the Spurs switch at a three-way deal that would send Gallinari and picks to San Antonio. Uh, DeHonte Murray to the Spurs, and then John Collins going to a third team they believe is in the East. I have not heard exactly what that team would be. If I had to bet, though, I believe it is the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers have very extreme um, interest in John Collins, but I don't know if they have the straight-up assets unless they traded Brogdon for him, which I don't know if the Hawks would do. Um, but I think I think that would be the trade if it happened. Something to keep an eye on because I believe at 5 or 6 o'clock today, Gallinari's contract becomes guaranteed. So if a deal is going to be made, uh, I think either A, you have to push back his contract uh, guarantee, which could signal a trade is in, imminent, or you've got to do it before then. Um, and, you know, there's still talks of a John Collins for DeHonte Murray straight-up switch, but the Spurs kind of want to suck to get uh, Victor Wambana, the uh, big French player that's supposed to be the number one pick in the 2023 draft because he's a Tony Parker disciple. He's uh, been his mentor, and I think the Spurs want to grab him and kind of make him a new Dirk Nowinski. Um I like DeHonte Murray with the Hawks. I think him and Trey would be a great backcourt. He could arguably be a top five backcourt in the entire NBA. Um, what are your thoughts on that potential trade? Um, I think DeJounte Murray would be a heck of a pickup for the Hawks. I, I did not realize how good he was last year. I was reading up about him uh, the other day on the golf course when all that came out about him, and he averaged 21-9-8 and eight last year. He was very close to a triple-double. I did not realize that he was that good of a player. I knew he was a good player. Not that good because I just don't watch that much NBA. I think that would be a great pickup for the Hawks. Absolutely. All right. Well, do you have anything else NBA? Yeah, there's a couple other things. The DeAndre Aiden saga. Uh, a lot of people thought he was going to go to Detroit, but now with Jalen Duran and Nerlens Noel both going to Detroit, Kind of seems like uh, they might be done. I've heard reports that Aiden might go back to Phoenix, which seemed, you know, impossible a week or two ago. Uh, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, I feel like someone in Utah has got to go. And if not, there's got to do a complete uh, roster rehaul. Watching Utah, Utah just hired Will Hardy, uh, the top assistant under Imadoku um, for Boston, who just went on a finals run. So youngest active coach there. Uh, they also add Dave Fisdale, the former head coach of the Grizzlies and the Kings, to be the assistant GM there in Utah. So Utah's really building something under the tutelage of Danny Ainge, uh, who left Boston to kind of take over those reins uh, for Salt Lake City's NBA team. So I think it's going to be an interesting uh, free agency run. Uh, you know, players like Zach Levine, players like Russell Westbrook and Kyrie Irving, I know they both opted into their deals, but are they going to go anywhere? Bradley Beal is an unrestricted free agent for the first time in years that he doesn't have to do anything other than go sign somewhere. So I think this is going to be a great next 24, 48 hours. Turn your Woj bombs on. Uh, Washington made a big trade this morning, trading uh, Ish Smith and Contavious Caldwell Pope to Denver for Will Barton and Monte Morris. I think that's a great pickup for the Wizards. And if Ish Smith plays one game for the Nuggets, he'll break the record for most NBA teams played for in history. Huh. That's interesting. 13. 13. Wow. But, okay, I have one last question. I hope you can answer it for me. Why were there only 58 picks in the NBA draft? Because Miami and Milwaukee both forfeited their picks 
to tampering. Miami okay. forfeited their pick because they talked to Kyle Lowry before the agreed-upon date that that deal had kind of already been in place. And Milwaukee was fined for the Bogdan Bogdanovich um, that eventually came to Atlanta. Okay, I got you. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, I want to give one more shout-out to a team before we jump into our bold predictions. And it is the Avalanche winning the Stanley Cup in six games over the Tampa Bay Lightning, breaking the Lightning streak. They were trying to go for the three-peat. The Colorado Avalanche were just way too good this year. They they were not even really expected to make the playoffs this year. They ended up winning it and handily over everybody. Props to Colorado. They're going to be right back here next year. Absolutely. Um, you, or, go ahead. I, just, I was just going to comment on it. I'm really excited that the Avalanche won because uh, a friend of mine up here is an Avalanche fan, and if they won the Stanley Cup, he was going to buy a jersey with the number 20 and the last name plate being four. So I'm really excited to see that jersey come to fruition now. So I think that's going to be funny. All right. Well, do you have your bold prediction ready? Yes. All right. Hit us with it. I think by this time, 48 hours from now on Friday, the Hawks will have one of these three players under contract and extended. I believe right. it'll either be DeHonte Murray, Rudy Gobert, or Zach Levine. Okay. One of those three players will be a Hawk by Friday at 2.07 p.m. Now, not worrying about what they have to give up, who would you want to have out of the top three or of those three? Murray or Levine. I don't think I don't think uh, I don't think we can get that much better at the center position. You know that like I, I get Gobert's great and I get Aiden's great, but Capella is is good in his own right. And our problem is we don't have a secondary score. Okay. So I want Levine or Murray. I think I'd take DeJounte if I had to pick. But my pick real quick and the only thing that I can really come up with is the Braves are sitting four games back as of right now we speak. By the time we do our next podcast, the Braves will be either tied for the division lead or in the lead. So we're talking That's 10 possible. days. We're What's talking that? 10 days. We're talking like 10 days probably before we do another podcast. Yeah, I would think we're going to take a break off next week probably because we're going to be on vacation. Okay, 14 days. Yeah, two weeks. Yeah, I could see that. That's fair. And I mean, if you look at our schedule, it's fairly easy over that time. You've got the Phillies still with two games left. You've got the Reds for three, the Cardinals for four, the Nationals for three, and then we would some we'd be in the middle of that Mets series when we do our next podcast, probably. So yep. we can take some games from the Mets there. We're going to be right there in it. Absolutely. By the next time we speak, the Braves will be at least tied for the division lead. I like it. I hope so. All right. Well, do you have any other last words before we wrap it up? Come on, Landry Fields and Travis Schleck. Get me an all-star. All right. Well, as you say that, go Hawks, go Braves, and go Falcons.